You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Brittany Baker. She is the original director of marketing in North America at IGM. Brittany, thanks for being on the show. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about IGM and specifically your role within the organization and then maybe share uh, what you guys have been up to lately that you're particularly excited about with your fundraising and marketing strategies? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, International Justice Mission, uh, or IJM, as you'll hear us uh, referring to it as often. Uh, we are a global organization working to end violence against the poor, uh, and specifically uh, people living in poverty that are uh, often victimized uh, and are living outside of the rule of law, so outside of the protection of the law, because they can't pay for security, they can't pay for that safety um, in the global south. So uh, that is what IJM does. My role specifically is marketing and fundraising. Our fundraising team actually sits on the marketing team um, within North America. And so we are working to mobilize the masses to take action, specifically by giving, uh, but also through advocacy and prayer. Very cool. Yeah. And what are you guys what are you guys most excited about within your fundraising marketing strategies right now? Yeah, oh, right now, I mean you actually opened the door for me to give a great plug for what I am very excited about um, <laughs> is we have, uh, right now we're actually telling Esther's story. So if you do go to IJM.org, you're going to see her story right there on the front page. Um, we are, for the first time, actually telling Esther's story through our typical channels, our multi-channel of web, of direct mail, email. But we also have video, and it's a two-part video, and the, f- the second one is actually releasing today. And then we're also doing a podcast through The New Activist. Uh, so this is a really awesome um, – we're going – Our Eddie Kofos, who's the, the he works for IJM, but he's also the presenter and the, the talker uh, for The New Activist. He actually went to Ghana and gathered her story and had interviews with people around the work of Esther's life. She uh, was trafficked on Lake Volta in Ghana um, um, when she was, we estimate, guesstimate around the time of age six, and she was there for 10 years. And so uh, it's an incredibly... It, I mean, it shatters you a bit, right? It's a mm-hmm. hard story, as as many are within the realm of human trafficking and violence against people living in poverty. Um, but it's also one of incredible strength, and you just get to hear so many different points of views through this five part podcast that it's just really new and really exciting. We've never done it, so I'm just I'm I'm really pumped to see how it goes because we're right in the middle of it right now. That's awesome. Now, it, are you guys? How are you guys handling? Um, the protection of names and faces like Esther. I'm, I'm assuming this is a real girl that was trafficked and, and this is her name and you're using her face on this. What does that look like for IGM navigating uh, some of the difficult spaces that you're working within where you need to protect, uh, you know, the beneficiaries that you're working for? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great question. Uh, it's because it's a real question. Um, we So Esther isn't her real name. It's actually a pseudonym. And so that's one way is we actually do give pseudonyms to almost all of our survivors if they do not want that to be known or if there's a particular real security risk if, if their identity was known. Right. Um, 
So we do use pseudonyms quite often. When we are retelling a story, because as you can imagine, Esther is now, uh, she's older now. She was, has already been rescued. She was there for 10 years. So if we're telling her story from the time that she was first trafficked until how she is now, which is going through restoration and through aftercare, um, we use actors. And so there is, uh, we, we are very comfortable with that because we we want we want to show what the real problem is and show the the urgency of what happens when somebody that young is actually trafficked. And so we we have actors that play often in our videos. Um, and then for Esther specifically, if the survivor does not want their face to be shown, we don't show it. And so you'll see in her story, both in print and digitally, uh, that we we do not show her face. So we uh, we get creative. We have a, a awesome um, photographer on staff and an amazing creative director, uh, Vera. And they when they are going and telling these stories and gathering these stories, they are ensuring that the survivor is incredibly comfortable and looking at uh, ways just to be creative and how we can actually tell their story without showing their faces. So that way it's incredibly honoring to them while also pulling that emotional side that that supporters often need to really understand the problem. Mm. So what kind of encouragement would you have? Because I'm assuming that increases the cost of production mm-hmm. for those that storytelling process yeah. Yeah. what would you how would you encourage organizations that are maybe smaller and don't have the funds to uh uh pay for actors to be a part of their stories yeah um and maybe sp- i don't know how long you've been at IGM but yeah. specifically maybe how IGM handled it when they were young when you guys were young and still um starting out yeah great question i've been i've been part of IJM for 5 years and so we've been around for uh, Gary Haugen started IJM 22 years ago. So it's, I would actually say, I'm, I, I don't know exactly how they did it originally. Um, I would, in the past five years, as we have started to tell more stories, um, I will always advocate for people being incredibly authentic with what they have and with the story itself. Mm-hmm. So my encouragement, honestly, would just be tell the story as real as you can. And if that ultimately means you just, you don't have much to show uh, because the survivor doesn't want to be shown, then I would say that. People respond to hearing, people respond to and and can relate to somebody not wanting their face being shown or somebody not wanting details of their story to be heard. And so even just flat out saying that, whether it's in a letter, whether it's in a video, hey, we're about to tell you a story and we actually can't give you the full details because there's real trauma that we don't want this person to relive. Uh, There's Mm -hmm. a comfort level that we want to ensure that we're caring for them well. And so there's people all over the world can identify with that. And so I I don't think there's actually a real risk in having limited, um, just even limited, like creative even around something because people are going to understand exactly why you can't as long as you tell them and you trust them with that, that information. Yeah. We encourage organizations to do the same. It's like a donor base is going to be so appreciative of that honesty and transparency yes. versus if you're trying to hide it or come, come away with, um, especially if you're using your beneficiary in a way yep. that they're not comfortable with, that's not going to bode well with a donor base. And so being yep. honest and, and communicating, Hey, we can't tell their stories. Um, they're going to appreciate that and and want to probably invest in you even further just because they appreciate that honesty and transparency. So, yeah, that's absolutely. good. Thank you for that. <clears throat> um, transitioning a little bit, what has been one of the hardest lessons you've learned as either a leader uh, within the organization or just within the nonprofit space, generally speaking? Yeah, um, 
so I wrote down notes before this. And so even verbatim, <laughs> then I'll actually not have it be, be verbatim. <laughs> but the, so for me, in my role, my role, my current role as regional director of marketing is, is fairly new for me. Uh, before that, I was 100% in fundraising. And so now my my role is be, a bit beyond that. So it's fundraising and specifically direct marketing, fundraising. Um, and then also broad, more broadly, marketing and digital marketing in general. And so the digital world specifically, <laughs> uh, it is it is growing rapidly and it's always changing. And so for me, I, I think the hardest thing is understanding what is your relationship with that world uh, and mm-hmm. how do you how do you actually need to how rapidly do you need to understand it uh, what how do you keep up with the pace that it's changing when at what level is it okay to take a risk and fail which i would say i would always encourage taking risks and fail failing um mm-hmm. but it, it, it is just hard when if that keeps happening because you're just trying to figure it out that can get a little bit daunting right so right. what is the balance between failure and success that you need to be that's acceptable um, in order to get the right learnings to to maximize your growth in the future right so that's that for me right now i think is is actually really hard um, there and then on the other side of that I, I do like numbers. I, I, I'm an analytical person. I do enjoy the science of mass fundraising and marketing. And so while that is hard and that can be frustrating at times, it also is just really exciting when you when that's that's the world you live in because you're able to, because you have to keep up with the numbers and try different things and test constantly and fail constantly uh, to learn. So both hard and exciting at the same time. Uh, yeah, good. So uh, as a mass fundraiser within within that title or, or expertise within your role, yep. um, does that mean you're specifically don- working towards major donorship or no, is, so- is that a completely separate issue or topic. Totally, totally separate. So like the, the, we have a, a major donor fundraising team. Um, that's, that's, that is what they do. Uh, gotcha. and that's, and so that's just very different, obviously, than the, the mass fundraising is more marketing to mobilizing the masses to give, to give gifts, right. And to hopefully become a monthly donor or to give one time and then hopefully a second time. Uh, mm-hmm. so that's, that's more the science of it is how do you, how do you get to as many people as possible to take, to make, to take one action that turns into another right after that. So interesting. Yeah. Very cool. I wanted to follow. This is going to be edited out. I wanted to follow up on another thing that you said, and now I'm blanking on what you said. Uh, I think it's it'll come back to me. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> I talk fast, so it also if you ever catch me talking incredibly fast, I'm very. No, that's okay. <laughs> that, you you said two good things in there. I was like, okay, I want to I want to touch on that major donership, and then there, there was the other thing, and I, it's still escaping me. No, you're fine. It's okay, I talk it's about okay. digital world, and it's growing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Failing. Okay. Digital space. Yep. So within that digital space and and the ever changing. Like, especially with social media and the different marketing techniques and strategies that seem like yep. they pop up almost every single day. There's some <laughs> new strategy. Are there people or techniques that you guys are following and, and listening to and um, subscribing to to stay up to date on all the stuff that's changing? Maybe for a, a smaller organization that's like, I don't even want to touch social media <laughs> because it's too overwhelming and too daunting. Like, who yeah. are you guys – encouraged by and who are who's kind of your guiding light within that space yeah i mean a a very um i would say i will i will give some specific names but even before that i think it's always good to 
look at yourself and ask yourself, are you actually somebody who likes to learn? Um, and the reason I say that is because if say you're not, say the answer is no, because I think for a lot of people, it actually is no, we think we are, but we're actually not. Uh-huh. Um, if it's not ingrained in your daily, if you, and if it's not ingrained in your day to go out and kind of survey the land of where you're at and like the people who are in your space with you, the organizations are in your space with you, just make the time to do that. So that's one thing I would say, if you're not doing that already and not even asking yourself, who do you want to follow and how do you start that? Uh, just make the time to do that. And then just start with or- other organizations. I mean, that's more of my biggest thing, sign up to go sign up for the email list for five organizations that mm. you respect and get their stuff and see what they're doing. Go follow them on their social channels so you can understand how they're moving through it. Um, and you, one, to learn, but two, you also may be surprising yourself that you actually might be farther ahead, farther along than you realize mm-hmm. <laughs> when you look at the people, other people in your space and other organizations in your space. Um, for me, the again, I'm, I, my background is more fundraising. So it's been, we follow Pursuant. Uh, we follow, um, I'm trying to, so, man, I just had a meeting about this with somebody and I was like, what are you subscribed to? Um, even the direct marketing association that's in, we're based in DC. So in the DC area, we mm-hmm. follow that and try to go to the luncheons there. Um, and then it's just other, the, the bigger nonprofits, right? So there's following World Vision, there's following Compassion, um, seeing what they're doing, trying to engage with conversation and conversation with them. So those are the, those are the, Pursuant is the one I follow the most as far as okay. agencies uh, that are doing this work. But uh, for, I, I find my best learnings are actually becoming a donor for other nonprofits and understanding what that experience is. And then again, for social, doing the same thing, like really seeing what are they doing from a social perspective, um, just because there's other organizations that are bigger that have more resources, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're doing, they're doing a bunch of different things. So you can see all the different things they're doing and choose one or two to try out. Um, so right. yeah. Yep. So be, that's that's really good. Becoming a donor or acting like a donor, so you can see what another organization's donor care process looks like, yes. and, yep. and kind of apply those to your own processes and strategies. That's yep. cool. Yep. Now, I have a friend that it is a donor of IJM, and they they mentioned that awesome. there's been a push Thank recently. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, on behalf of that person, <laughs> um, <laughs> they mentioned that there's been a push with the IGM communication to uh, encourage the donor base uh, to have more intimate meetings, maybe, maybe present IGM to small groups or in-house mm-hmm. like dinner mm-hmm. parties. Is yep. that a, a big campaign push for IJM within your marketing strategies? Because yeah. uh, you're seeing that like, there's just a, so much congestion and uh, noise in the social space that you're moving away into a more intimate presentation of IGM or is it one in both or how does that, what's that looking like for IGM strategies? Yeah. Great, great question. Um, definitely not moving away from social. There's a both there for sure. A both. (laughs) And, uh, I would say that the intention there, so we have volunteer teams all throughout the U S um, and these volunteer teams are let, or there's the comprise of a number of people, uh, uh, incredibly, incredibly gracious people who are giving up their time, their mm-hmm. resources to dedicate, to be a champion of IJM in their communities and to really support us in that way. Um, and so the reason we went, we started building volunteer teams a few years ago was, I mean, they've been around longer than that, but a very intentional a holistic volunteer team that is doing advocacy, that is spreading the word, that is um, putting on Freedom Sunday and getting speaking engagements and doing all of that, really championing IJM in their in their area, um, was because just for simply, we have to recognize that we can't scale by ourselves, right? So there's this level of if you can get more people to talk about us, to talk about IJM, the work on our behalf, there's just 
an, an element of scale there that you can't deny that you have to run towards. Right. Um, and so, and there, and then what we found is we started that is because you, I mean, the, I, I, to be, this is more of a, my own personal interpretation of a lot of this as well, to be really clear right now, <laughs> but um, you do see multi-level marketing all the time, right? Like you do have, um, you have, that is, that is a blowing up industry, right? Yep. And so there's also this level of, it's it's no, that is normalizing pulling having people come over to your house to mm-hmm. to hear you pitch something right um and that is like a, no, a somewhat of a normal thing now and so why would we not why is why would we not ask people to say hey if we're going to be doing this have people come over show them this video of the of the work that you care about and ask them to get involved with you and build that community there's just something very natural about that ask now um and so for me i, th- I think there was there was there was low hanging fruit to be had with that, mm-hmm. with that trend. Um, and then our supporters are, man, they care, right? Like they, they are all in and they're amazing. And a lot of them were just asking for more to do. And so. Oh, that's cool. Let's give them more to do. Yep. Very cool. Yeah. So you, you talked to, you had a couple of talking points, but specifically what stuck out to me was that brand advocacy or, or, uh, loyalty to the point where an, a donor base is going to advocate on, on your behalf. Um, are you going to, a, to select people within that donor base that, you know, um, have been consistent donors and supporters of IGM for a long time, or are you going yeah. directly to people that have like reached out to you directly? How can we do more? Uh, mm-hmm. What does that approach look like when creating this brand advocacy strategy for IGM? Yeah. Uh, so we have a whole advocacy and mobilization team, uh, and they they are actually to be also just to be incredibly honest, I keep saying that term, but um, <laughs> the, uh, they have a whole process. I don't actually know how they source their initial people, how they how they show how they show the community that there is this possibility of becoming a volunteer with us. But there, once somebody does know that that's a possibility, there's actually an application process. We're we're essentially vetting you as if you're coming on staff with us, gotcha. and so. Um, they they are the ones that handle that and are the relationship managers within their within their U.S. regions. Um, the for those okay, sorry, let me back up. Most of those people who express interest are all in, right? So they are giving monthly. A lot of them are are giving pretty significantly, right? Um, they are in their church advocating for us. They've been doing these things already. So I would say there's a bit of a more established relationship. Um, when you're looking at a traditional marketing funnel, right? They, these are the people that are at the bottom, your most engaged part of the funnel. They gotcha. have, have they have been here for a while. So as far as somebody being brand new to IJM, I would not ask somebody brand new to do this. Um, it, it is people that that know you and are already in some way or another championing you, whether that's in a smaller way, like sharing your posts on social, or in a bigger way, like coming to all of your events uh, and mm-hmm. and just asking, like going out of their way to ask. Yeah, because that's a that's a big ask, right? I mean, it's yes. one thing to ask for for money that that's a a quick short term yep. interaction, but when you start asking for people's time, that's that starts to be significant, especially unpaid time. And so, um, yeah, that that ask is is pretty big. So making sure that these are people that are loyal and and very like entrenched within the organization, if you will, um, that's yep. smart. Very cool. Yeah. It's exciting. <laughs> so what are you guys doing to communicate back to the story piece, um, mm-hmm. communicate the stories of how God is moving through IJM to your donors and, and yep. your supporters? And maybe uh, can you share like a 30,000 foot view of how 
your approach to marketing and fundraising um, is structured or strategized within IJM. Yeah, great. Uh, so for God moving and, and the impact that <clears throat> only God can have and how we tell that story, right? Uh, that is happening. We have people can sign up to be a prayer partner. And so our prayer partner program is um, – we send out an e- basically an email every single week that gives our most urgent and uh, timely prayer request, and, mm-hmm. and in that we are saying like, here's something to pray to pray about, and then in the next one we we will talk back about that. So like we'll say, here's what happened. Um, so that's one. I really like our prayer partner program because it is really hard in general, especially when you think of your start. Your, especially when you think of somebody just starting out to normalize something, right? And to have something very consistent and dependable. And our prayer partner, our prayer partner program is incredibly consistent and dependable. That email is going out every single week. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And it's really, really exciting. Um, cool. So I, I love that part of it. But also uh, through our direct mail program um, and through other campaigns, uh, but specifically our direct mail program, we have newsletters. And so those are quarterly. Okay. This is like this is like a full-on newsletter. You're going to get it in the mail. It opens up. It's a trifold, and these are deep dives into the work. And we, uh, within those, are also putting in a prayer card. And so we're able to say very freely in that, um, here's a story of a person in the of a survivor in the field. Here's what happened to them. Here's how. Um, here's how this is a part of our greater program. Here's a greater program we're putting on in that area uh, to actually stop this violence from happening at all to anybody. And then here's how you can be praying for this. So it's really a deep dive. It's not, it's not your, uh, what you would consider a typical grassroots appeal. Uh, this is a deep dive into the work and showing the impact that's actually happening. And then here's a specific way the survivor has actually asked for prayers. Um, so we're doing that through newsletters. And then the last thing I would say around that specifically, um, that being how is God moving through your ministry and how do we tell those stories? Uh, I mean, we tell them all the time through a number of ways, but for the for how God is making that impact, uh, we have Freedom Sunday, and this is where we are actively partnering with churches to say, tell this story and talk about how talk about God's heart for justice and how we have to have this embedded calling in our church, but also how the impact is happening, and we we are trying to get. Um, yeah, we're just trying to tell that story to as many people by scaling in that way as well by getting in as many churches as possible. Uh, you had asked the higher level view of strategy. Um, this year, the when I say this year, I'm speaking because I, like I said before, I am new in this role, so I'm speaking to my role in this this year. Okay. Um, we have a. Uh, the focus, honestly, I, it, it is in the funnel. And the reason I say the funnel is because I know it sounds like not personal at all. <laughs> um, That's okay. But, but what, we have sound, what we have found recently is it is really easy over time, as, again, especially as you're new, as you're new and starting out. Mm-hmm. Um, to say, okay, here's this one thing I'm going to focus on, and that's what you should do, right? But once you focus on it and you master it, it's like, what do you move to next? Uh, how do you how do you start to expand and to build on what you've already done instead of basically overcompensating and or overcorrecting and going to something else and forgetting all the stuff you just did, right? Mm-hmm. So we look at the funnel almost as like our meter, as our barometer. I don't even know what the right term is. Um, what are we already doing well for our mass fundraising direct marketing program? We are 
we're talking to our people that know us, right? They are not new. They know us. They've been giving to us. We're going to give them. They've been praying with us, advocating with us. We're going to send them out these stories. We're going to ask for more revenue because that's what we need to get the mission accomplished, right? Um, We do that really well. Now we're like, from a strategy standpoint, we have to build beyond that. Mm -hmm. And so we're saying, we're going to keep these people. We're going to look at the retention, make sure our donor care is so incredibly in place and ready to love on people well, because people matter. Um, But we also want to look at how can we bring in leads, right? So that's top of the funnel. How can we bring in brand new people to this fight and care for them well and push them down to actually continue to be our recurring advocates and our recurring donors? Um, So our strategy this year is about the funnel to, to look at how do we how do we account for getting in front of new people, bringing them in, and how do we love them well to keep them in? So yeah, very cool. And so is the become a freedom partner strategy or campaign mm-hmm. a big push for that top of funnel um, engagement? Yeah, great. I mean, so freedom partners, so specifically monthly donors, right there. That's what our freedom partners are. Um, that is, I would actually say a bit a, li- a little bit lower. That top of the funnel ask is, do you want to sign up to? get our emails. <laughs> uh, gotcha. that, is, that is, do you just want to know more about this? And then we're making sure that the welcome series that people get, we're trying to say, we're trying to give them more of what they want, right? And right. if they're responding to that, then we're going to make that ask at the time where we can meet them where they're at. If they're ready and they're showing us that sign, we're going to ask them. But there is a lot of work we need to do to build out what that that journey looks like. Right. So, yep. so if that e- sign up for our email is your mm-hmm. top of funnel, what kind mm-hmm. of stuff are you guys doing to provide value to get that email address? Because yep. we know that every single person and their mother is asking for your email <laughs> nowadays. Totally. And, and we're holding on to that email tighter than we ever have. You know, yep. email campaigns are getting less click-throughs than they ever have. How? Yep. What kind of stuff are you guys doing to provide value to, for me to say, okay, I trust IJM. They've provided me enough value. I'm going to give mm-hmm. them my email because I want them yep. in my inbox. Yeah. Yeah. Um- we are still putting out that strategy, so that's one I will say. I don't think it's our most mature strategy. Uh, <laughs> uh, but as far as what we have, what I think we're currently offering that people find attractive is is kind of back to what you what you are talking about quite often in all of your podcasts. Is there is a story to tell that is real, and there's mm-hmm. a story to tell about something that most people who are going to give us their email don't know that much about. So there is something there is a there is this inherent human value to learn more about through these stories. Um, and people care, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that the that once they have heard that compelling story, whether that's in our church pew, whether that's, uh, you know, on social and they see one of our ads, whether that is through a media article uh, in Christianity Today, I, I don't know what it's going to be. But it's, it's going to be something where they're initially finding value in like, there is something different here to learn and to know. God cares about this. I know that for a fact. I yeah. know I care about this, and so I want to engage in it. So that just inherently, people are good. Are good, right? We're all good, and so we want to do more good. Um, mm-hmm. And so that is there. Once they're in the door, and once we're able to say more, I think there's more stories to tell that people latch onto. Where we need to continue growing, and where we will continue growing, <laughs> um, is. Again, how are we welcoming people well and not just hitting them over the head with asks right in the beginning? Yeah. Um, Because they will unsubscribe real quick from that. (laughs) And then how are we offering them – how are we making their impact known to them? I think that's the other side of this. Uh, And you hear this a lot in the difference between a creative – professional and the difference between like a science data-driven, just purely fundraising professional is how do we kind of meet in the middle of – Yes, there's an incredible story to tell, but the supporter is equally a part of that story, mm-hmm. right? And there's and how do we how do we show them that like you 
can make an impact in the world and here is how. Um, and so I think there's, that's for me where I think people get excited and they stay because they, it's making that impact real to them and known to them and they want more of it. Yeah. One of the yeah. things that we coach and consult on is making your donor the hero in your stories. So Absolutely. Make, you are, as IJM, you guys are the guide and mentor and referring to, and I've talked to, talked about this a little bit in other podcasts, but mm-hmm. uh, Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey and um, in all of his, uh, the story structures that he teaches, the the guide and the mentor is the brand it, to, to bring it back to marketing talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the guide and the mentor is the brand. IJM is the guide leading your donor to the, the end of their story. And um, I think ministries a lot of times want to place themselves in the hero role. They want to say, look at how awesome we are. Here's the amazing work that we are doing, um, which is all true. Those are true things. Uh, And ministries are doing incredible work all around the world. But speaking directly to a donor, we need to reframe our mindset around how we communicate and, and tell stories and, and if we're going to be inviting them into this process, they need to be, uh, we need to be communicating them like they're an important role within that process. And, and we know at the end of the day, our organizations will not function without their support and investment and partnership. And so placing them in that hero role, you are the reason this exists. You are the reason why our organization is able to do what we do. Um, that's a, that's a mindset shift for a lot yeah. of organizations. So I wholeheartedly agree. And that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So speaking to that, mm-hmm. uh, are you guys implementing story structures within your marketing efforts? Like uh, we, as I've just stated, we believe um, story are powerful tools for increasing donor investment and inspiring action. Mm-hmm. I think that like the reason Reliant Creative exists um, is because we believe that God is doing incredible stuff all around the world. He's moving, he's redeeming, he's saving, he's rescuing. And those stories are not told often enough. And we believe that if those stories were told more often, uh, more of the church and more people would want to be a part of that work. That more, There would be more investment. There would be people inspired to take action. Hey, I see God working in that area. I want to be a part of that, whether it's prayerfully or financially. Yep. And so... Stories are powerful and and can inspire that action and mobilize people to to be a part of whatever organization it is, whether it's IGM or someone else. But yep. um, can you maybe share? Are you guys implementing story structures within your marketing efforts? Yeah. So over the years, we have we have actually done been very intentional on doing different story arcs. Um, I would say that that has that has changed a bit over the years. Our general story arc, while not official, um, but how I view them, uh, is we are we're introducing a character, and the character that sounds superficial, but it is a character, right? At the end of right. the day, that is in this in for the purposes of this, it is a character. Um, so the, it is a survivor. We oftentimes what we're what we're heading towards more, and I want to say this because I think this has become this is a recent very intentional change we've made. Is we are we are calling out in the beginning that the stories are going to be really hard to hear, mm. and so um, we talked earlier in the podcast about being authentic, and I think this speaks to that. Like we, the work of human trafficking and incredible terrible brutal violence against people living in poverty is very tra- it's very traumatic, and if right. somebody um, and 
a lot one of the t- topics that we cover is also child sexual assault and that's something that happens everywhere regardless of where you live and so that mm-hmm. can be very traumatizing for, even for people that live in the global north and do have the protection and security of the law so um that's one I would say for the story arc, it is it is seeing how how hard is the story to read, how hard are the details that we're going to go into and, and calling out right in the beginning that this story is going to be hard. And we but we encourage you to stick with us because there's a lot of strength and hope at the end of it. Um, so starting out there, introducing the problem with that story, with the with the survivor, what actually did happen and saying right off the bat at the in the beginning of that, that. This story is about to change in a positive direction only because you as a supporter and as a potential supporter stepped in, right? So that is very much so in the beginning. And then unapologetically, right after that, we're saying, and we need you to continue stepping in, will you give? So mm. that that also from a fundraising perspective and storytelling specifically, if the purpose of that story in that moment is fundraising, I am always an advocate of not shying away from asking in the upfront um, because it's you got to be real. You got to be authentic. And if somebody, and if somebody doesn't realize that's where it's headed and then it does head that way, that's, that's, you're just going to get less people and they're going to be less committed. Right. So get, get the people that can hear that and say, okay, and keep reading and be excited to keep reading. And they're going to be that much more committed by the end. Mm -hmm. Um, So making, so again, so telling them that the story is about to change. This is that the, that you, the hero, that you, the, the hero, the supporter, the ones that are making that change happen, asking for money to make sure that other people don't uh, experience the type of violence. And then continuing on to say, here's how, here's how you sent IJM to step in. Like, here's how, um, whether that was uh, IJM existed in that community because you set up shop there. Right. Um, and then that meant, that meant that, that, uh, that, that victim at the time was mm-hmm. able to call for help and, and IJM was able to partner with local law enforcement and actually train them up and go with them to investigate and to rescue them out of that situation. Um, and then now we were able to work with local partners and get aftercare set up, right? And they're now in rest, they're going, they're being restored. They're going through this, they're going through aftercare and being fully restored and, and not living in that trauma. And that can also only happen when you send us. So there is a bit of an ebb and flow. I wouldn't even say there's this huge arc. It is more of like, this is going to be hard. Here's this person who is incredibly brave and amazing. And they are, they were able to be rescued and brought out of this because you exist and because you sent IJM and they're here today because you exist and you sent IJM. So keep sending IJM. Right. Uh, So that, that is the general, that is the general narrative. I will say in fundraising, we do, I I always advise to steer away from um, getting it's kind of like what you said, getting too technical about about the organization, in our case, IJM, about IJM's work and how we go about that and getting really, really technical in, in the details of mm-hmm. that. Because I think from a story perspective, it's really about here is this one person that experienced something but is now no longer experiencing it because you stepped in. And let's make that happen for more people. Yeah. So so back to that honesty again and transparency, you, you yeah. guys are – communicating and we talked about this in a previous episode with uh, Lisa Diaz and Iris yep. Films she was talking yep. about introducing conflict within your stories and and being honest about that conflict and and going de- in, into detail what that conflict looks like or what that problem looks yep. like for for your beneficiary and then having the tension because I, I think that there's a trend to only communicate the hope um, mm-hmm. or only to communicate the hardship and, and there needs to be that tension between yes. the two. Um, otherwise we don't relate to those stories because there's, you know, whether we're being trafficked or not, like my personal life story, I have 
tension between conflict and hope within my own life. Uh, any any yeah. donor, like any human being, is going to have that, and so that's why we relate to stories that are yep. structured in that way. There's there's that tension between the conflict and the hope, or the the need and the hope, and um and so we can relate to stories like that so much better than if you're just communicating only hope. Well, why would I be yep. a part of that? There's so much yep. like that you have no need for me. Or if you're just communicating the conflict, that can be detrimental because. You know, we've seen that work and not to name names or point to any organizations, but we've seen that, um, not work well, not bode well for an organization when you're just communicating the hardship and not ever communicating the hope side of it. So that's cool. Um, another thing that you talked about, which I want to, I want to explore a little bit further is this idea of communicating stories versus communicating your your strategy your organizational strategies one of the things that i've really appreciated about ijm and i encourage the organizations that we work with um, to follow suit is that you're not communicating and going into crazy detail about the strategies of how you're rescuing or who you're partnering with i mean it's very simply laid out and and you can get a sense and idea of what you do and how you do it um, yep. But primarily speaking, f- your marketing and your communication is very, very story driven and story heavy yep. um, rather than going into the details. I think that ministries and ministry executives especially are so close to their organizations. They know it better than anybody. They want to talk about all those finite minutia details of how their organizations are structured. And here's how specifically we're doing the work that they're, we're doing. And when you start talking to a donor base that isn't that close to the organization, you're going to get lost if you're not balancing that with with the story side of things. So for IJM and your marketing yep. strategies, what does that tension look like between communicating the story side and communicating like this, how you're doing it and the strategy side? Yeah, I man, it's so simple for me. <laughs> I think I think if your if your audience if your audience is the masses, like, and, I, and when I say that, meaning there's also a trend, um, a good trend. That this, the trend sounds like it's a negative thing that's going to be fleeting, but that's not what actually what I mean. Um, but we are, we there, there are audiences that need more of that, right? Like, they, and I'm talking major donors. I'm talking people right. that are uh, anybody that's within the government space. If you're working for a corporation and you're ready to give your money to a cause, you clearly that is a different audience. They mm-hmm. need more of the actual programmatic details, and we should joyfully give those over. <laughs> um, right. That way, right? So that way we can move we can move mountains with that. Mm-hmm. But for but for the people that are not in those positions that are that are the mass public. I will, I will tell you that we almost never, it's, we don't give the stories, we don't get the details of the programmatic side of things. Um, Interesting. And because we, you just, you find that there just isn't really even an appetite. They don't really care. So why force it, right? Like why, mm-hmm. what, what are you actually trying to solve for? If the actual need in that moment is to have that one person be moved to action to both, both selfishly for your organization, but also unselfishly to help fulfill a desire that that person has and their desires to make an impact in this world and to be incredibly engaged with something that is close to their heart, that is actually them fulfilling um, what they feel God's call is in their life, which is a lot of what our donors and our supporters tell us. Like that's why they give to IJM is because Mm -hmm. they feel convicted about this work. Then you give them all that they need to do that and if all that they need is a story then that's what you give them right and if you're when you go into the programmatic side and i would say another thing that 
that tends to that we also tend to very easily think. Sorry, I, I tend to talk a lot, so I'm, just, I'm not. Gonna, let me try to get to the point. Um, the overwhelming statistics. So for 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 slavery specifically for mm-hmm. trafficking, there's over 40 million people enslaved today. This is a statistic, a known statistic. Right. That number does not make an impact for the individual person. It nope. doesn't matter. And so I would say as much as we think that like people need data, they need to understand this stuff. Like they don't, at the end of the day, they just don't. And they don't like, they may think that that's a great number to have in their arsenal, but like to pull out in conversation. But at the end of the day, to motivate them in that moment and meet them where they're at, where they're at is thinking about their daughter. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, they need to understand how to stop something terrible from happening to somebody like their daughter. And so tell them about that. Yeah. Brittany, that's so good. I think that um, a lot of organizations need to hear that. Uh, we see a lot of organizations that want to be driven by their data. They want to be driven by their uh, statistics that they have to support what they're doing. Um, and well, I think what Scott Harrison, the founder of Charity Water, says, um, data and statistics do not engage, emotionally engage, stories engage, something to that effect. But yep. Telling stories is going to always, especially like you're talking to talking about to the masses is going to engage in an emotional level so much more significantly than a bunch of data and a bunch of statistics and sharing what your strategies look like. Obviously, um, there needs to be that piece. And, and for the donors that want that information, we're going to have that information yep. available and yep. ready to share. But not till they've that donor, that potential donor has given permission. Like that's one of the things that we really try to encourage organizations we work with is, okay, yes, let, in your in your homepage maybe on your first interactions with a brand, we're going to be simple, we're going to be story driven. If a donor, a potential donor, is asking for that additional information, is asking for and has given you permission to go into the data and the statistics and the strategies for how you do what you do. Absolutely. Have it ready. Be ready to share that content. Um, But until they've given you permission to share that stuff, we need to be story driven and story focused with our communication and interactions with potential uh, donors and and audiences. Absolutely. So, uh, Brittany, to transition a little bit, I think we have time for one last question. I want to be respectful of your time. What does it look like? And we've talked about this a little bit, but what does it look like for IGM? specifically around your donor care strategies. How are you guys approaching donor care um, and making sure that your donor base is, you're creating loyalty within the the donor base? Yeah. Um, I mean, I just, well, I keep knowing, knowing the audience right now for who we're talking to. The one one thing I definitely want to say is anytime you're, any time spent talking to a donor is not time wasted, right? So there is, so as far as, creating the opportunities to either face-to-face engage or on the phone engage is the first and foremost thing to do. If you don't know where to start, just pick up the phone and call a donor and talk to them and just say, thank you so much. (laughs) And we'd love to hear from you. Um, So that is the one thing I would start out by saying, like, if you, if you're starting from scratch, just start there, just start talking to your people. Um, Cause they're your people. You're, you're good for them. So talk to them. Um, for donor care overall for us, I mean, again, given we are we are a bit bigger than somebody just starting out, um, we have dedicated staff. So that's one thing we've invested in staff. That's a whole like constituent experience in operations team uh, that that is 
their mandate. That is what they do. They, they actually don't even sit on my team. They used to. Um, but I'm actually really encouraged by the fact that they don't sit on the marketing team. Cause I'm like, you just have to focus, like, don't get distracted by all this, this marketing stuff, like care for our people and love them well. Mm-hmm. Um, so one, just knowing, just being, having a team that's just available and in their minds like that, they are the donor advocate. And I'm not talking a major donor relationship manager. That is important too. Don't, please hear me. That's incredibly important, obviously. Uh, and then I'm, I'm more talking for people that are just ready and available to be there for pe- for the donors that and the and supporters that just need to talk to somebody, right? Mm-hmm. That just have and you have to be available. If you're not available, it says you're not. It says to that person that they are not important to you. And so be be show them they're important. Um, so that's a key strategy there. The other strategy is we do send a mailed welcome series. So we've invested in sending. Um, uh, thank yous right away when somebody gives, whether that is, and that's if they give online or in mail. So we're saying you just gave your first gift. We're going to send you uh here's a story about somebody that was, that was rescued because and restored because of IJM. And here's, um, and that's what you're going to make, be a part of now in the future, right? You can be part of more stories like this. Uh, and it's a multiple, multiple touch point experience. So there's an email that's uh, in response to them giving. There is uh, I think two, two pieces of mail that go out. And we suppress them from any kind of ask after that. So that, and it's mm. all a bit big, profuse, like we are, we are thanking them. We are saying, thank you so much. You make this possible. Um, so that's one thing. Every year, our organization, uh, we actually have all staff, regardless if you're, if you're an accountant, if you are uh, a relationship manager, if you're a creative, we actually have, we call it a thankathon, And we spend time where we have everybody call at six to 10 donors just to say thank you. Oh, um, wow. And that is and that's that's before year end. So there is a bit of strategy of like making sure people we people are thanked before we are about to inundate them with an ask. Um, but there is just time again. This all goes back to my first point: being available and really investing in what will not have an immediate payoff, but will have a long term payoff of just acknowledging that somebody sacrificed a part of who they were and a part of what they have for you, and just saying thank you. Um, so that is there. And then the other part of this. So again, mail welcome series, making the time. Using you language and everything you do, this goes back to what we had already talked about, that the, the supporter is the hero in the story. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. Like that, that in and of itself is just a donor care strategy, like, like making sure that they are known within all communication pieces, whether you're asking for money or not. And then um, creating the space to intentionally listen and get their feedback. So we send out surveys. We have surveys after every giving form that go out. Um, and we... Yeah, so I would say that's a big thing. We we intentionally have surveys, bigger surveys going out to the full donor database every single year. That's like, here's your chance to give your feedback um, and to tell us what you think. So creating that space to make sure that they're known and that they're heard and that it's they're actionably heard, that we actually do make some changes based on their feedback. Interesting. That's good. Yep. That's so good. Yeah. And so with within that, is there are you guys kind of following a rule? Um, for how many interactions you have with a potential donor before you make an ask or is, what does that yeah. kind of look like? Uh, the, we're not, I would say we're not there yet. I think our systems still need a lot of, a lot of work because we, we've done a lot of system transitions in the past couple of years. So we're still, I think, cleaning up the inside of our house, I would say on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as what the dream scenario is, uh, is when somebody is a very first time, like they just give their first gift for, I would love for them to be suppressed for like three weeks to six weeks from any other type of ask. And so, and during that time though, we're very intentionally thanking them. We're saying, Hey, what are you interested in? We'd love to hear more about you. We do make an ask within the end of that welcome series after the six weeks, 
uh, to try and get a second gift if it's a first-time donor that gave a one-time gift. And that is mainly because uh, what data continuously is telling is telling nonprofits is that if you can get that second gift, the in, the uh, lifetime value increases significantly from that donor. So there is a there is a second gift strategy within that, uh, but it is based off of um, that. But that that is wrapped up into part of that strategy to get that second gift is you just have to tell people that they matter and that what they did is important and it's not a small thing; it's a big thing, whether it's five dollars or fifty thousand dollars. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, we did a podcast that's going to go live in a couple of weeks yesterday. And we, mm-hmm. the, my guest, I was talking with her about this and um, just the approach of thinking about your donor base in relationship term rather than commodity terms. Like yeah. our, we're, we should be looking to build relationships with our donor base and building relationships with these people that end up being our partners in this work. And so um, if, if you, Go, are going at it like they're just um, people that you can get money from. That's not going to bode well. And and so changing that mindset to building relationships and having your communication support that. So you guys, obviously that big thank, that, that gratefulness and thankfulness within your commu- uh, communication following that first initial um, gift or that first initial interaction, it's huge. Um, yeah. And so I think that a lot of ministries and organizations and organizational leaders can learn from something like that. Like just think about your donor base in terms of people rather than the alternative. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, cool. Well, Brittany, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you and your time. We love the work that IJM is doing. And um, before we get off the call, can I pray for you and IJM? Yeah. Great. Thank you. Father, I just lift up uh, Brittany. I pray that you would, be with her as she leads her teams. I pray that you would give her guidance and direction. And um, I just thank you for her heart and willingness to serve this organization and serve the call um, to to rescue. And we know that you're doing that work in incredible ways all around the globe. And so we just thank you for um, Brittany and IGM as a whole, their willingness to step into that with you, step into that invitation. Father, you... Um, it's just so incredible that you have invited us into this story of redemption and rescue and um, allowed us to be a part of that work because we know that you don't need us in that, um, but you've invited us into it because you know that there's so much joy in that process. So thank you. I pray that you would bless Brittany and IGM. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Yeah, Brittany, if, if people want to get a hold of you or follow along with what you or IGM is doing, how can they do so? Yeah, Um I would follow IJM. <laughs> we have a, so it's, oh gosh. Okay. So on all social channels, it is just at IJM. Um, but we have, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, recently starting to really pick up on Pinterest, which has been actually kind of fun. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> so yeah, I would follow us on those channels, especially with, I think for me, this is again, going back to what I originally said and what I'm most excited about. I would follow the new activist podcast and listen to the Esther specific series. Cause there's just a lot of really exciting things. Um, yeah. So awesome. We'll think. we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you for being on the show. And uh, we wish you guys and pray for you all the time. And I'm just so excited with what IJM's doing. Yeah. Thank you, Zach. And I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. 
We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.